welcome to the audiobook speakeasy. I'm Rich Miller, and I'm your host here at the speakeasy. This is where you'll meet narrators, coaches, engineers, and other audiobook professionals, as well as some listeners who will be sharing what they look for in a good audiobook. If you're interested in audiobook production, you've come to the right place. Tonight's speakeasy chat is being brought to you by the Audiobook Reviewer. Visit audiobookreviewer.com to find hundreds of audiobook reviews, learn how to get your audiobook reviewed, and learn about the ABR Audiobook Listener Awards. And now, come on in, grab a drink, pull up a chair, and join us for a friendly chat about audiobooks. I see a lot of questions online about various situations that crop up between producers and rights holders. The rights holder asked me for X, how should I respond? Or, I think my narrator is right for my book, but they're not responding to my messages. What can I do? And I've been thinking that it might be helpful to have some chats here in the speakeasy with some rights holder producer pairs who are willing to talk about their experience working together. What worked, if there were any problems that came up that needed ironing out, etc. Well, several weeks ago, an audiobook producer contacted me with that very idea. So I'm pleased to have two guests with me tonight. Josh Horowitz and Maximilian Gray, thanks for joining me in the speakeasy tonight. Yeah, thanks Thank for having you. us. My pleasure. It uh, it seems like whenever you add more people to a meeting, scheduling becomes kind of exponentially more difficult. And I really appreciate your flexibility in finding a time when we could all get together and uh, and have a drink. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. And, uh, <laughs> and, and and speaking of that, uh, so Josh, what are you drinking tonight? Uh, what am I drinking? I'm not much of a big drinker, but I do have a, a pretty nice uh, wider cider, pear cider. Oh, I love right. pear cider. And Whiter's is one of the uh, one of the better known ones. I've definitely had Whiter's. I also like uh, Ace. Ace makes a good pear cider. Yeah, yeah. My my favorite cider is actually something that I had when I was in England, uh, Strongbow. That oh was my yeah, favorite. Strongbow. And they do great. sell it here in the states. Um, and I think they only have the golden one. I'm still waiting for them to bring back the original. But uh, but yeah, I'm more of a cider than a beer person. So I. That's what I got tonight. I used to love a good uh, snake bite. We lived in San Jose, and there was a uh, there was a pub. They called themselves a pub. It was sort of pub like, and uh, I always used to go in there and get a snake bite. Uh, which I don't know if you've ever had one. You may or may not like it if you don't like beer. Uh, mm. But it's half cider and half lager, mm. and uh, I think that traditionally it's done with a harp. But uh, I'm not sure. But I always thought that was a great, refreshing, sweet drink. And uh, so we would go there, and my wife and I would go there, and I'd order a uh, a snake bite and a black and tan. And invariably, they would give the black and tan to me. And I would say, <laughs> uh, "No, that's for her. I'm, I'm I've got the snake bite." <laughs> so uh, anyway, that sounds great. Max, how about you? What are you drinking tonight? Uh, I'm having a uh, ginger and rye. It's uh, bullet uh, rye and uh, an Australian ginger beer called Bundaberg. Oh, Bundaberg's the best. Yes, it is. <laughs> we we did a, a, a taste testing experiment a few years ago, and I did Moscow Mules with about a dozen different kinds of ginger beer, and oh, yeah. Bundaberg was absolutely the best. Yeah, um, it's it's the clear winner. I like it's the whole you know old timey feel. I get the medicine bottle, and then I get the frontier whiskey bottle. And yeah, it takes, me, <laughs> it takes me back to the past. <laughs> That's great. Um, uh, Cock and Bowl made a, a good second, but we definitely thought that Bundaberg was the best. Uh, my wife's not a big whiskey drinker, so we went for the Moscow Mule or a, a London Buck with gin instead. But uh, I'm sure that with Bullet, it's good. Bullet's one of my kind of go-to daily driver ryes. 
Yeah, it's nice. I even had Josh taste it. It's kind of like a you know a candy soda almost. Yeah, can't, can't taste the alcohol. Dangerous. <laughs> yeah, those those drinks are the most dangerous. Uh, fortunately or unfortunately, I'm not sure which. The uh, the drink I'm joining with you tonight, uh, I can definitely taste the alcohol. It's a uh, something new actually. I've never made one of these before. It's called a gin and sin, and I don't really <laughs> understand the name of the drink, but it's uh, basically a bunch of gin, a little bit of orange juice, a little bit of lemon juice, and a even smaller amount of grenadine. I uh, I sub in Chambord because it's the same. It gives it the same color, but it's real instead of completely fake. And um, and so it's a it's a pretty strong gin drink. But since I like gin, it works out. Mm, nice. All right, well, th- guys, thanks for coming in tonight, Joss. Thanks for uh, thanks for getting in touch and uh, and seeing if this would be a good thing. I I appreciate you guys taking the time. Cheers. Yep. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> cheers. So uh, so, Josh, I'm going to have to go back and forth, or you guys will be talking over each other all night. Um, so, Josh, uh, if I remember correctly, you're uh, you're living in L.A. these days. Where are you from originally? I'm actually born and raised in L.A. It seems to be a bit of a rarity around here for people who are in the industry. So, yeah, most of us yeah. most of us get out at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I grew up in Van Nuys and uh, stayed local. I ended up going to UCLA, uh, lived on the west side for quite a while, and then uh, eventually got married, had kids, and now I'm living in North Hollywood so ah. here in the Valley. I used to love the West Side. We, uh, I, I went to school at uh, Occidental College in Eagle Rock, and mm-hmm. uh, I had a friend who lived I grew up in Whittier, and so had a friend who lived out that direction. He would come out every few weeks, and we'd go out to Westwood. So uh, I, mm-hmm. we actually met up there, uh, I think it was probably three or four years ago now, and it was a little bit different than what I remembered from when we had gone there, oh, about 30 oh, years yeah. ago. <laughs> yeah, Westwood has definitely changed. Now, the funny thing, though, uh, actually kind of speaking about that, I had a place in Brentwood for a good number of years, and that was kind of the last time that I had a chance to uh, meet up with Max. Max and I went to the oh. same junior high school and high school. Oh, together. no kidding! We were all yeah, we're pretty both much local LA here. natives. Yeah, uh, but funny. but yeah, it was about it was like I want to say about ten years ago when uh, yeah I I think I had uh, Max over for it was just a thirtieth birthday, birthday party thing yeah. and. Uh, and yeah, it was kind of cool because I hadn't seen him really since uh, since high school days at that point. Well, that's great. So you went to high school at the same time concurrently. That's right. Yep. And you yep. knew each other at that time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we met in seventh grade. Mm-hmm. That's cool. So, um, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but I'm curious when the audiobook came up. Max, you wrote a book. You put it up on ACX, if I'm remembering correctly. And Josh, you auditioned. Did you know at that point, Max, that Josh was a, was a narrator? Yeah, at that point I knew. It, it, it was kind of serendipitous. He had been, um, I had seen on social media, he'd been promoting other books that he had been doing. And, and I was finally at that point where I was ready to do the audiobook. Um, and so I just, I thought, you know, Josh seems like the guy to go to. Um, I think for this, for the creative stuff, it's much easier if you have a, a shorthand with the person and you know them. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So did you open it up for auditions for anybody or did you go into it thinking, I already know who my narrator is? I went into it thinking I knew who my narrator uh, is and, and it it was left open, but, but Josh did the submission and I, I sort of just poked around to see what was there thinking all the time, you know, that I would be going with Josh. So I went ahead and posted kind of some of the stuff that I had done on Facebook and I hadn't heard from Max in quite a while. Uh, and then just sort of out of the blue, Max contacted me and said, oh, you know, congrats on doing the audiobooks that you're doing. Uh, would you be interested in doing narration for this novel that I wrote? And I, I didn't even know, Max, that you were 
a novelist right. at that point. Uh, I, I was very flattered and we had a chance to talk and catch up. We hadn't talked for a long time. Uh, and then when it just sort of turned out that, you know, yes, we wanted to try this. I was one that suggested that maybe we try doing this via ACX just because I had already kind of established the, uh, you know, the, the pattern of working through there and, you know, the, the submission process. And it's just sort of a more straight way, straightforward way of getting these things published. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was it was kind of a, a single audition. Got it. <laughs> got it. All right. Passed. Yeah. All right. Well, that's good. So uh, so, Josh, you went to uh, UCLA. Max, did you go to school down in L.A. anywhere? Uh, I went to uh, USC, actually. Oh, Rivals, so, UCLA yeah, right. and USC. You guys went to two different schools and still ended up working together. <laughs> I, I, I've never been to a single football game. I never understood the rivalry. It's two schools that exist in the same city. I don't know. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm right there with you. <laughs> you know, I used to be an usher for UCLA football and basketball games. So, so he had to get into it. Yeah. <laughs> That's and, okay. And Max, at, at USC, what did you do? Did you plan on getting into writing? I had planned on uh, pursuing a film degree, and uh, so I had enrolled there um, with the with the intention of getting to uh, cinema television for production. And I was never able to get in for production, so I uh, I, I did take like screenwriting classes and stuff like that. But my my early experience was all with screenwriting, um, and so eventually I went to I think I took a a summer at NYU so I could get into actually you know filming and doing that directing. And when I came back, I just sort of. Uh, Quit out. I, I think I did one more semester of school where all I took was film courses, and then I quit and went to work in the uh, film industry. Got it. So um, screenwriting. Uh, mm-hmm. scri- uh, is that what you said? Screenwriting. Screenwriting. Yeah. So, so you had done some of that. Is is your thinking now at this point that you're that you've written a novel? Are you? Do you still have that in the back of your mind? I'm just wondering if you're thinking, hey, I could write a book and then I could adapt it and uh, go yeah. from there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I think everybody always thinks that there could be a, a movie in it. I mean, when I was, I should, I should mention when I was younger, when I was 13, I did, I actually wrote a pilot for a television series that I pitched around town. Um, I had a, I had a partner who was an adult, uh, so he would make the phone calls. Um, so I did have some experience, uh, with, with that kind of writing. Um, I think, I think for me, the interest with the, with the book was the fact that, um, self-publishing came along and I realized there would be no gatekeepers. I could just sort of go through and do what I wanted to do. I think that was the impetus for me there. But in the back of my mind, sure, I'd love for somebody to, you know, make a, a film adaptation and to get a crack at doing the, uh, you know, the screenplay. Sure. Yeah, it makes sense. So, Josh, what about UCLA? What did you do there? So I went to UCLA thinking I was going to be able to get into the film school over there uh, and uh, tried to get in after my second year, didn't really make it. Uh, I'd taken a bunch of film courses, and so I kind of applied it to an American literature and culture major. So I, I ended up getting uh, an English degree. Uh, but following that, I kind of kind of jumped around a bit. I ended up working for Activision. I, <laughs> I was doing video games for a while and uh, some dot-com stuff. I worked for uh, you know an internet company. Uh, I almost became a police officer. <laughs> Holy cow, point. that is the bouncing around a little. <laughs> I went to private investigator school. Oh, wow. <laughs> there it goes. Um, but, uh, but yeah, in the last 10 years or so, I, I was working for a uh, various uh, toy company and I worked for Disney for, uh, for about six years. I was actually a game producer over there. And that was kind of how I got back into uh, the, the voice acting. I say back into it because I was actually a child actor when I was younger. Oh, no I kidding. I had a chance to, uh, to be in a bunch of commercials. Uh, I was in well, actually two movies. <laughs> I have an IMDb listing just from the stuff I did before I was 13. Nice. Uh, but I, I didn't do anything after that point. But when I was working at Disney, uh, I, I worked with a lot of people from Disney character voices. 
uh, for some of the games that we did in, uh, you know, for, uh, it was the Disney, the, the preschool type games where they didn't actually read, so they needed to have the actors. Mm-hmm. And so I had a chance to direct, I had a chance to uh, write some of the scripts, meet some really top talent in the industry. And I just saw how much fun it was doing that. And uh, years later, I was kind of thinking, um, maybe that's something I could get into. Uh, from there, I, I ended up doing a, a stint in podcasting. I've, I've uh, hosted two different podcasts and uh, a third, which is more of an old-time radio podcast called 12 Chimes It's Midnight. Uh, I've had a chance to, to write for that one and uh, also um, act in it. I, I do narration for it. Uh, but but from there, uh, I thought, you know what, if I can do the podcasting thing, maybe I should try voice acting. Um, maybe I should try reading audiobooks. And I learned that uh, ACX was out there. That is the uh, kind of the, the in way to be able to audition for audiobooks these days without having to worry about agents or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, before I went and made that leap, there was a place called LibreVox that I went to. Oh, sure. To yeah. kind of practice. Uh, and... I got a lot of good feedback on that one and figured I, I wasn't afraid of, of the long form. That's kind of one of the things that can make uh, aspiring audiobook narrators cringe is just being able to you know sit in one place and you know, read a lot of paragraphs and you know, get through it. But no, yeah, I did okay. Ab- absolutely. I know uh, I have heard from plenty of voice actors who said, oh, you do audiobooks? Good, because I'm never going to. Um, <laughs> because it uh, the long form narration is definitely not everybody's cup of tea. It's like you have to do a marathon instead of a sprint. Yep. That's what I've always been told. Yep. Uh, but but yeah, from there I I started getting a couple of books on it on ACX. Uh, by the time that Max had reached out to me, I had already done I believe four or five published ones. Uh, but this one was the longest. This one <laughs> ended up being uh, ten hours finished, and uh, and it was it was challenging. It was a lot of fun. I mean, we'll, we'll talk a bit about uh, the process that went into it. I, probably the most number of voices I've ever had to do for an audiobook I did in this one. Uh, but but ultimately, very rewarding. It was it was a lot of fun. I'm glad I had a chance to do it. Cool. So you had already gotten back into voice acting. Yes. And, uh, and what besides audiobooks are you doing at this point, or are you just focusing on audiobooks right now? Audiobooks is what's kind of uh, bringing in consistent work for me to do, but I, I do audition for other stuff, you know, commercial radio things. I'd love to be doing animation and video games. Uh, I just got representation last month. So oh, that's I'm, great. I'm happy about that. Uh, and uh, yeah, and uh, I mean, it, it's kind of tough because I'm I'm a union actor, and I know that a lot of the stuff that's out there is non-union. Uh, thankfully, with the audiobooks, uh, ACX actually has an agreement with SAG-AFTRA. Yeah. Uh, you know, even if yeah. you're not making necessarily the, the scale. So it's it's all good for me to do and I'm getting good experience with it. Uh, and, and just recently I actually got a, a, a union gig for doing an audiobook through Penguin Random House. Oh, which fantastic. Was kinda cool. Congratulations. They, they reached out to me. Yeah, thanks. Uh, that it just came out. It's called uh, Mouthful of Birds by Samantha Schweblin. And I was one of twenty narrators to actually read a short story in that collection. Oh, so that, it's short stories. I, I was thinking maybe you got it because you do such good character work that one of ah. the things that you uh, uploaded to Ahab was uh, you doing birds. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I did Not some characters quite, in it, yeah. though, with, the, with some interesting kind of Spanish accents. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, that's very cool. Now, were you a union member uh, from a long time ago, from when you were a child actor, or is that more of a recent thing? Yeah. The first, uh, I think the first commercial I ended up getting... Uh, when I was five years old, they they emergencyed me into SAG at that point, and so I've been 
a member ever since. I keep wow, paying my no dues. kidding. That's yeah. great. That's great. So, uh, so Max, tell me a little bit more about the writing. When was it that you got into uh, writing specifically? Um, you know, I, I think probably around when I was probably 12 or 13 is when that kind of bug hit me. Um, like I said before, it started, um, it was my interest in TV and movies. And so it started with, uh, screenplay stuff. Um, I should say it started with short stories and then it aimed towards the screenplay stuff when I, when I started working on that pilot. Um, I think since that time I've kind of written off and on, I definitely had a big gap where I, you know, just went and did the day job stuff, um, and wasn't doing the creative. And then a few years ago, I was working, uh, at a television network called the hub. It was like a, a Hasbro and uh, discovery channel co-brand. And I was just situated in a group with really creative people who all liked the same stuff I did. Um, and I'd been working as an engineer. And so it, it was an opportunity to really open up, um, my world again towards the creative. And it just, it sort of bit me. And I, I decided, you know what, the, uh, the landscape has changed. You can, you can self-publish your own work. And so I just decided to go for it. And I, I sat down and started working on Alvin Baylor lives. Well, that's great. I know that, um, it's very easy if you are sort of in the, you're uh, pursuing creative endeavors and then you get a, a day job, even if it is, you know, somehow connected to creative endeavors, it's pretty easy to put it aside. And oh, yeah. so it's, uh, it's good to hear that that was still kind of in the back of your mind and that it wasn't that hard to kind of spur you I, into action. No, I think it's my nature. I mean, in my, it, my time working in Hollywood, I, you know, I'd started working in development and doing script analysis, um, you know, when I was an adult. Um, and, uh, then I went into the engineering side, but there was always this aspect there that needed to be fulfilled, I think. So, you know, I, I just say it's, um, it can be a little bit scary when you're going to put yourself out like that. And I just thought that my fear of not trying, uh, eclipsed my fear of failing. And I just said, Hey, I'm going to go for it. And, you know, when you do a longer project, like a book, it's, it is tiring and it is very easy to forget and do your day job and say, I just want to come home and relax because, mm -hmm. You know, I, I get up early in the morning and, and type and do marketing and do all that stuff before I even go to go to work. So, um, yeah, you, you, you have to maintain that commitment. Yeah. How long did it end up taking you to, to finish the whole book? This one, uh, I'd say it took me four and a half years and that I think I wrote eight drafts. But the whole time I was employed until the very end when I was able to I took some time off and I was able to finish it up. Hmm. Um, and, but yeah, it's. And how long had it been out before you decided to go to uh, see if you could make get it made into an audiobook? Uh, it came out in June, so I think when when I reach out to you in October, maybe. Oh, yeah, so, so that was same June of year. 2017, then, right? Oh uh, no, 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 same year, same year. Oh, oh, so, oh yeah, eighteen. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it it hadn't been out that long. When you were writing it, were you thinking about audio as a possibility before it was even published? I was. Um, okay. I'm a big fan of the Star Wars audiobooks. I enjoy the sort of almost uh, radio drama aspect with the sound effects and, and the radio music. dramas too. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and so I had, I had been thinking about, you know, one day being able to produce something like that. Um, and, uh, I think Josh, uh, Josh added sound effects and Josh did an amazing job with the uh, characters and the voice work. And I, and I think I was able to, you know, get a little of the way there. Obviously I don't have the, uh, recognizable lightsabers or the music or anything like that, that clues you in. But, um, I, I really enjoy that, that style of audiobook. So I, I looked at it as an opportunity to create a version of the story that might be a little closer to what I was thinking in some respects. Um, I, you know, I learned, 
I learned just uh, by listening to Josh's interpretation that sometimes I have subtleties there that can be interpreted in different ways. So I was able to redirect him and and make sure I got the the read or the meaning that I wanted there. Mm. Well, that's good. I'm I'm glad you got what you wanted. You you may or may not be aware that adding sound effects is not generally considered a good idea with a few notable exceptions. I know that um, the Star Wars in particular, uh, I've, I spoke with uh, Casey Trowbridge quite a while back, and, and I believe it was also on his podcast, uh, Talking Audiobooks, where he was talking about the fact that he really liked those. And I know he's not the only one. I'm, uh, I'm real curious to see uh, where the industry goes in terms of radio dramas and multicast recordings and sound effects and music. Um, to see if that becomes more popular instead of being sort of on the low end of uh, of opinion right now. Right. Yeah, in the case of the sound effects for Alvin Baylor, it was more sort of voice modulation that we ended up uh, doing. Like a lot of what happens in the action comes from radio headsets, from the spacesuits and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I would add a special type of sort of a, a tinny sound to it, you know, like, you know, between and after certain things. And, you know, when they're talking on, on their... Uh, the OptiComp, which right, is, right, right. you know, that's a, that was a little uh, different type of sound that comes out of that one. And I assume that that was throughout. It wasn't just in a few places. Yeah, they're, they're quite a bit of it, uh, yeah. you know, during the editing process that uh, that made it uh, a little bit longer to to do the whole thing. Yeah, no but, doubt. Uh, I just but know I, that, I, think, I, I just know that from comments that I've heard, the, the worst is if you really don't use sound effects or music or anything. And then all of a sudden in chapter 20, there's a doorbell and you actually yeah. put in a doorbell sound effect. And it's, it's very jarring because nobody's expecting that when they're listening to it. But mm-hmm. if you have something that goes throughout, then fairly early on, you're setting up the, the world, you're, you're setting up the environment and that it's then not jarring as it happens throughout. And yeah, yeah. It, it comes up in the first chapter. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, we've got, you know, the the very first chapter has got a section where there are, are people in outer space and someone's in a spaceship and then there are two individuals who are in space suits and they're all sort of communicating via, via radio. So I thought it helped to sort of establish the, the physical spaces. Um, I don't know, for me, my preference is for them. I like the effects. I'm a uh, audiobook in the car kind of guy and uh, I find it helps when your mind starts to drift to pull you right back and keep you locked in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I actually had experience doing uh, an audiobook with full sound effects before. There was one I did. It was called The Angel of Death's Abyss, a much shorter one. I think that was about two and a half finished hours. Uh, but on that one, it, that was a World War II action story. And it really did call for having gunshots and explosions and, you know, bloody stuff happening in addition to whatever modulation. Uh, originally, when I was talking to Max, you know, the, the thought was, well, maybe we could try to actually get, you know, all these other sound effects in there. It's just that for a book this long, to to do it like that, that would have required a lot of work to do because we couldn't just put it in the beginning and not do it throughout. Right. So the compromise was kind of to have the uh, certain voices sound a little bit sort of uh, otherworldly at times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Um, so, Josh, do you record at home or do you go into studios? Uh, for the bulk of the ACX stuff I do, I, I do it from home and my home studio consists of my walk-in closet with, uh, a microphone, lots of soundproofing and padding, a stool and a computer. Sounds pretty similar to what, uh, I know a lot of people are using. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. so you said I, that... I would love to do it in the studio though. I mean, like when I had a chance to do it with Penguin Random House, that was awesome because I, I went to their studio in Woodland Hills and I was there for an hour and a half, uh, had a director 
and didn't have to worry about editing it and I was done. That's great. Yeah. It's always a better experience. Um, so, uh, Max is, uh, is the, the audio book, um, the, that Josh recorded the only full length novel that you have at this point? Yes, this is my, uh, it's my first novel. Um, and I'll have another one coming out in hopefully the next three months, probably March or April. Oh. And then, um, I hope to get to a sequel to this one, get it out at the end of the year. So. Got it. So, so you actually have uh, quite a few things working there continuing in the, uh, in the writing. Yeah, I'm, I'm continuously going. Um, I think the first one, uh, was much more difficult than what I'm working on now. There's a lot of, I think the first time you do anything, there's just a lot of extra stress and resistance and anxiety that, uh, once you know, you can do it just sort of disappears. So, uh, I've been able to pick up the pace and start to move a little faster now. Got it. Yeah. Sounds good. So, uh, so let's get to the actual recording of the audiobook. So it was, uh, kind of, a you already knew who you were going to be working with. Um, would any, let me, let me back up to that, that moment when you posted the book and you had Josh in mind. Um, if it was, since it was open, did you receive any other auditions? Uh, there was a comment listed there saying that I had had somebody, but I did receive uh, a few people who oh, reached did. out to me. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't receive any full auditions, yeah. but okay. I did receive communications from individuals oh, who, okay. who wanted to be considered, huh. uh, including one guy who had the same name, Maximilian. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's great. Okay, so so you knew that you were going to be working with Josh, didn't receive any others, so you didn't have to all of a sudden get derailed and think, Oh my God, that's a, that's a great voice. That'd be perfect for this. Ooh, how do I tell Josh? Right. So, you know, I learned through just the process of designing the cover. I learned, um, I'm pretty demanding and yeah, I heard a lot of really great voices, but nothing made me think that any of those guys were going to be able to, uh, keep up with me when I wanted changes. Uh. So I I stuck with Josh. (laughs) Got it. So, so you, uh, Josh did his audition, everything sounded good. You guys started working together. Um, what is, what did you do first? Uh, so I can tell you for me, the first thing that you have to do for any of these ACX, uh, productions is that you have to do the first 15 minutes. And it's important because that's going to basically set the tone of how the narration is going to be. Maybe there's going to be some major characters at the beginning. And I did just that like I would do for any other ACX novel. So Um, there was, there was no, uh, communication between you, before you actually recorded the first 15 minutes, there was, oh. there was no, uh, you know, explaining the characters to you or. Well, was, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, no, so there was, we had that. Uh, I, I think one of the things I asked for was, uh, a sheet that kind of outlined all the characters that we were going to have in the novel and then kind of ideas of how they would sound, uh, mm-hmm. and any, any interesting pronunciations. There was like a template that I remember sending to you Max, yeah. about that. Yeah. I provided him a list of characters with accents and then sort of, uh, light character details that would that would uh color the voice yeah i think because in the first uh chapter and it's found in the first 15 minutes john padre uh you know one of the major characters in that one you know he's got this very deep grovelly voice he's like oh yeah alvin baylor how you doing you know it's like that and to be able to get that type of a voice uh max was able to i guess show me somebody from gears of war oh yeah yeah, yeah. One of the, uh, yeah 
Yeah, I mean, in this day and age, it's great because you can just point to something. There's a YouTube video where you can immediately hear exactly what that character sounds like. I'm like, okay, I can do that as long as it's not for more than 10 minutes at a time. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say a voice like that can be pretty demanding. Of course, if you want to get into animation, um, yeah. you're going to have to be prepared for that kind of stuff. <laughs> Fun thing, though, once you get a voice like that, I put it in my wheelhouse and I've used it <laughs> in different places, including my uh, my animation reel. I have that type of voice. Yeah. So uh, good, good to have. Oh, that's good. So you... You put together a sheet of the characters, and uh, I assume that you read the whole book before you actually started. Yeah, I, I think for this one, because it was so long and I had a bit of a time crunch, I, I read probably about half of it by the time I had already started doing the recording. And I kind of caught up at one point, and then you know I, I finished through the whole book. I would love to be able to finish the entire book and, and then go in and do it. It was just that at the time I had a full-time job, and I, I needed to do it piecemeal. I assume that because you were in such close contact with Max, that um, that's one of the reasons why that wasn't a problem. I mean, at that point, I'm sure that you would have talked about um, the characters and the voices and probably talked about the entire story as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the only I mean, I think the only deficit to it, maybe, and it was easily fixed, was when he did his initial 15 minute check. I think I made a correction to his narr narrator voice, basically asking him to read the whole thing with a sort of sardonic tone as mm. though it was a dark comedy. Right. Um, and I think that was the only real correction that I made that that might have been uh, I might not have had to make had he had he made it all the way through. Mm -hmm. um, but other than that, yeah, it was it was easy enough to go with the uh, with the character tweaks and just work on those voices. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so as you went forward, um, what other what additional communication did you guys have about what was happening with the narration? So th this type of experience was quite different than most of the ACX books I've done before, because in those I, I you know, maybe I'll have one or two emails with the, uh, the rights holder. And then I, I basically go to town after the first 15 minutes. And if I have any questions, I contact them. But on this one, because I know Max and, you know, he lives nearby and we were, you know, bit more open as far as how the project was going, I, I went ahead and basically sent him a chapter by chapter uh, to make sure that, you know, as we were going through it, if there was anything critical that needed to change, I could make an adjustment without having got, you know, get too far through the book and then really have to go back and do it. And uh, I, I think on the early, probably the first 20 chapters, I mean, there there were quite a bit of, of tweaks that were made here and there. Yeah. You know, the, the narrative voices you were talking about was one of them, you know, the difference between I think at the very beginning, it's like, you know, like 20 million miles from Earth, John Padre yawned. Right. You know, when I first read it, I kind of just read it straight. And, and then Max was saying, no, 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 there, there's irony here. <laughs> and, and, and I tried to, to keep that voice throughout. Uh, and I think some of the, some of the ones where uh, Alvin was actually drunk right, <laughs> that, right, that right. required a bit of adjustment too. So there yeah. were, so there were places after the first 15 minutes was approved uh, so you do the first 15 minutes, you get the, uh, the fact that the rights holder who, you know, in this case wanted a different, a slightly different take on the narrator, you mm -hmm. updated the 15 minutes and then that got approved. Right. And then you just yes. started working and you were doing, doing chapters. And you said that there were some tweaks after that to some of the characters. Right. So in this case, I, I literally took each chapter that I did and I would send it sort of separately to Max to have a chance to listen to. I usually don't do this for any of the other ACX books I do because I, I'm not in that close contact with the rights holder. 
but but again, I knew this this project was sort of you know near and dear to Max's heart, and you know, <laughs> you know I I wanted to sort of take the extra effort here and make sure that it really got done right. So so there were times where I had to kind of go back and and make some adjustments. I'd say the the early chapters where the, where the characters are being introduced probably got a little more work because. I wanted to make sure that the main characters had the had the sound that I wanted to them. After that, it was it was much quicker. I mean, I I absolutely reviewed every chapter, and I would say more chapters than not um, had notes. There were some that went through without a change, uh, but Josh was really good, and almost every time he nailed it, I'd say one thing, and he'd change it subtly, and it was perfect. So um, so that's. That's good. That's kind of what I wanted to get to is the fact that there were quite a few changes along the way. And, and you say that it was probably more often than not. So I'm going to ask you both a question from a different perspective. So Josh, if you had been working, you said that you don't normally work that way. Yeah. If, if you had been working with a rights holder who uh, you didn't know, and you had worked the way you normally work, so you, you did yeah. the first 15, got that approved, you had uh, you uploaded all of the chapters when it was all done at the end, and then you got this list of notes where in in more chapters than not there were things that the rights holder wanted changed. How would you? How do you think you, that you would have reacted to that, not knowing the rights holder, not having a prior relationship with him? I mean, I, I guess it would depend on the extent of it. I mean, some of the books that I've done before, I've gotten some changes, but typically they've been pretty minor. Uh, usually when I've sent the stuff to the rights holders, they're just happy to hear the whole book at that point. And, you know, they, they sort of accept my interpretation as how it's going to be. And, and I don't get too many, uh, big changes. Mm-hmm. I think it would just, it would have to be, a, a matter of kind of looking at it and seeing, you know, well, is, is that asking a bit much in this case? And so that's what I'm thinking yeah. is that what you have is the experience. So, you know, how many changes Max asked for. Yeah. If somebody else had asked for that number of changes and those types of changes, how do you think you might have reacted? I probably would have taken another look at the contract at that point. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was thinking that given the fact that that's not the way that you normally work, uh, something like that may may have been in there. So, Max, let me ask you. Yeah. You you knew Josh and you felt comfortable and you knew that he was um, – that his intent was to, to really uh, help you realize this and it was it was your baby and you knew each other previously and all that. Um, if somebody else had been doing it who you didn't have any history with and you had gone to them after they uploaded everything all at once and you felt like, um, yeah, here's this change, here's that change, and you ended up with a list of 20 or 30 or 50 or whatever it was changes, and that producer had come back to you and said, that's unreasonable. Um, you approved the first 15 minutes and I did everything in pretty much the same style for the rest of the book, uh, that's unreasonable. How would that have gone for you? Oh, it wouldn't have. That's why I hired Josh. (laughs) I mean, I know myself well enough, you know, I'm unforgiving and I'm exacting and I won't let things go. So, um, I'm not usually very concerned with the way people usually do things. Uh, it's my book and I wanted it read right. So, um, as far as changes go, you know, like in terms of the extensiveness of it, I think, I think that at times, uh, there was, there was one or two chapters where I think he probably got a little annoyed cause I had him do it a, a few <laughs> times in general. It was usually I'd catch a character and I'd say this character should be more X. And so there might be a line read. Now that might be more than 
what is typical. But I, I, for me, because I was going for more of that radio drama feel, mm-hmm. um, I wasn't I wasn't asking him to just read the book in his voice. I was asking him to perform the yeah. book. And one of the reasons I went with him is because he's an actor and a trained actor. And I knew that if I gave him direction, he could alter the performance. So for me, it was a performance and not a read. No, I understand. Uh, I would say that most narrators feel the same way, that what they're doing is not a read. It, it is a performance. Um, and I know that there are, uh, I'm, I'm not making a judgment one way or the other. I just know that there are some fairly strong opinions about uh, as long as the first 15 minutes has been approved and I don't do anything that seriously um, changes the intention that was presented in that first 15 minutes, that's my interpretation of the work and and that's what stands. There are uh, other people who, regardless of who the rights holder is, would take more of an approach like uh, like Josh did. I know that for me, there was, there was one case where somebody came to me with a change that I didn't quite think was necessary and I kind of pushed back and then I looked at it and I thought, eh, it's, it's small. I don't think this is going to come up again and I went with it. Uh, but there are a lot of different opinions. So I just wanted to wanted to hear where where you two were on on that whole spectrum. You know, it was interesting during the process. I remember uh, on, on one day I actually asked Max to come to my house when I was doing recording so that he could be there and possibly give live direction at that point so that we could get through kind of uh, some, some of the tricky chapters. And it was good, too, because you got yeah. to have a, an appreciation of kind of how what, yeah, what he was going it. through. Yeah, yeah. Like the, <laughs> the, lo- the level of work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, I think the best situation for any audiobook narrator is when you're in a professional studio and you have a director who's there and can give you that real-time direction if you need to and make that adjustment so that yeah. you don't have to go back and do it. But with ACX and all these home studio setups, that's – never really going to be the case. So I, I kind of had a, a bit of that, I suppose, when, when I was working with Max. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's good. Uh, I just wanted to, wanted to hear the, the different takes on, uh, on how you viewed that part of the process. So, so what, uh, it sounds like everything went great overall with the possibility of Josh maybe getting a little annoyed at one point. Um, <laughs> was there anything that you, that either one of you felt didn't go well and that you'd be willing to talk about? Hmm. Um, no, not, not for me. I mean, I, I, I can, I, I, I've had other creative collaborations in the past and I understand what it's like when somebody thinks I'm being a pain in the ass cause it happens a lot. But, um, <laughs> I, I, you know, like I said, we, I've known Josh for a long time and Josh is a very bright guy. And a lot of times when I'm making my comments, I, I feel like, Either the person is not conscientious enough to be invested or they're not quite getting what I'm saying. And I never had that problem with Josh. He always understands what I'm saying and where I'm coming from. And he's supremely conscientious. So I, I don't I'm, I had no problems with the process. Nothing happened that bothered me at all. I was delighted with it. That's great. Yeah. No, I mean, overall, it was it was a great experience. It was a lot of work. I mean, that, that was the one thing. I mean, like I said, this was the longest uh, re- finished recording audio book that I've done to date. And here was one where, because I had to do it kind of chapter by chapter, it, it did take a bit longer to uh, to get through. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm glad that I had a chance to collaborate with Max. It was fun to be able to work on uh, my first sci-fi. That, that was also kind of cool. And, and work again with Max after all these years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I still remember back when we were in high school, we were part of this uh, this club oh, where we right. even had a script. Yes, <laughs> we, were we thinking did. about doing something. Right, right, right. What was that called? The, the Rift. The Rift. The Rift. <laughs> hmm. We were writing. I think you were really the one writing it, but it was a it was a sci-fi movie. 
but or a but, fantasy movie, fantasy movie. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, j- just the opportunity to collaborate again on this, uh, to do so many different character voices and just have fun with it. It was a good experience overall, and I'm glad I had a chance to do it. Yeah, it sounds great, um, and it's it's good that you. Uh, that you knew each other for you, Josh. It's it's good that you knew each other and you had that uh, that level of trust uh, and vice yeah. versa as well. Um, based on your experience on this one, Josh, what do you think that there's anything that you will do differently for future ACX audiobook projects? Um, I don't know. Um, I, I mean, I kind of have gone back to. Uh, you know, the regular method that I do for most ACX stuff when I don't know the rights holder and that's, <laughs> you know, do, do the best interpretation I can and, and just sort of go with it. Uh, I'm a bit of a perfectionist to the point where when I go back and I have to do the editing, if I listen to sections and I feel that the character, I, I just didn't really hit it consistently, I'll take the extra step and go back and re-record it. And I think part of that came from the awareness that I was maybe doing that a little bit on, on Alvin Baylor Lives. I, I think the reason that Josh can deal with me is because he's like that. He mm. naturally wants it to be right. And so if I say, hey, if you just do a little this, I mean, I, I, one of the things I did appreciate, even if it was token, was sometimes when I'd give him a correction, he would do it. And then he would say, you know what? You're right. It sounds better. It's, it's, it's right. Um, so I, I think his conscientiousness made that, made that work. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think that the comments that came from Max were like unreasonable. I mean, the, the stuff that he said made it sound better ultimately. So I was, I was happy to make the change. Well, that's good. So nothing happened to make you think, well, the next time I work with somebody on ACX, I'm doing this instead. <laughs> I don't know if I would upload everything chapter by chapter, but, uh, uh, but yeah. Definitely sounds like a, uh, a different experience. Uh, yeah. and, and it was, and you went into it with intention. Yeah. So Josh, what do you do when you're not, uh, not in the booth? When I'm not in the booth, well, I've got, uh, like I said before, I've got two kids uh, and a great wife who are very supportive about what I do. Uh, I, I've got podcasts I do on the side, which is kind of fun. Uh, I'll, I'll plug it real quick. I've got one called Five Minutes of Trouble, uh, where we talk about the movie Big Trouble in Little China five minutes at a time. <laughs> I saw that. That's pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah, no, that one's fun. We did one for uh, Buckaroo Bonsai called the uh, Five Minutes of Bonsai. And then I've got that other one called 12 Chimes, It's Midnight, which is this sort of old-time radio uh, podcast. We do original stuff. Uh, I'm also uh, a SAG-AFTRA member. I've had a chance to uh, be a part of the SAG-AFTRA radio play committee uh, through the union. And we actually put on live readings of radio plays. Oh, that's great. Uh, so I had a chance to, to act and direct a couple of them and uh, help just put them on. So that, that's kind of a, a fun thing I do outside of the booth. So you, mentioned, than, you mentioned a wife and two kids. How does that affect your recording? Uh, well, lately, now that I'm doing this full time, the, the kids are, are usually at school or, or with the grandma when I'm, when I'm in the, my office. Uh, thankfully, I'm in a, a type of situation where I can just close two doors and it's pretty quiet. Mm. Uh, you know, and, and then I may, I may do something in the evening if I need to. But uh, it, it's a matter of balancing kind of work uh, and life mm-hmm. at the same time. I mean, I can, I can see myself locking myself in my closet and doing stuff, you know, late into the night, but then I mean, I, I have to be a good father and husband too. So I've got to get out of there and, and do that. Yeah. So, that balance can be really hard to find. I, somebody just posted about that recently and, uh, and I hear it even, you know, I have a wife, I don't have any kids, but even for me, it's, uh, it, when you're working for yourself and when you're working from home, no matter what the industry uh, it can be difficult sometimes to remember that the two are separate and mm-hmm. uh, and strike that balance. So uh, so that's good. It sounds like you can mostly get work done during the day. 
Yeah. Yeah, mm. that's that's the plan right now. <laughs> cool. Max, what do you do when you're not uh, you're not writing? Uh, I go to the day job. Um, I work as a uh, post engineer in Hollywood. I also, um, I don't know, I read, I watch a lot of TV and movies, play video games. Um, I, I am not married yet. I do have a girlfriend. She leaves me alone when I shut the door to write. So <laughs> no worries there. Um, yeah, I'm just, uh, I don't know. I think I'm still kind of a big kid. So what kind um, of, what kind of engineering do you do? Uh, uh, mostly like it and post-production engineering. Um, I, I do, uh, a lot of audio video stuff, IT as it comes up. I've worked for um, I've worked for Netflix. I've worked for Discovery. I've worked for uh, Walt Disney Studios. Oh. Um, I've worked in advertising. Big names. Yeah. Cool. Well, you guys got any uh, words of wisdom for other people out there who might be looking for work on ACX? Words of wisdom. Uh, I would say the thing I've learned doing this is that uh, to, to basically be choosy about what type of books you actually audition for. Because if you just try to get anything that's out there, you'll probably have to do it. Yeah, I, I think that's <laughs> very good advice. My, <laughs> yeah, I mean, some of, some of the early books that I did just kind of for the experience, I mean, were, were a bit of a chore to get through. And it's it's no fun when you have to be in there reading several hours at, at what you don't like. So, uh, yeah, be selective. Do stuff you're excited about. If you enjoy characters, go for those. Um, you know, good communication with the rights holder is important, especially when – you can't just call them up and <laughs> and pay them a visit, uh, and and just to you know try to have fun with it. I mean, it's you're, you're reading stories and you know making people happy, so mm-hmm. might as well do it. Max, what, how about you? Uh, from the ACX standpoint, I, you know it's tough for me to say. Um, I, I think I lucked out by uh, already knowing the yeah, guy. Yeah, it really um, sounds like it from from the way you've described how you went into it. It sounds like yeah, most. I think that most rights holders who post projects on ACX, um, they don't have a few of the luxuries that that gave you. Yeah, no, I I, I realize that. I mean, I don't I, living and working in Los Angeles in the film industry gives me a different point of view. Even being a novice at this, um, I just have a great respect for creators and for creators' input. And I felt it was my place to to say how I wanted it mm-hmm. read. So. Maybe I was more demanding than what uh, anybody would expect, but um, I'm okay with that. And Josh was uh, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it sounds great. Sounds like uh, everything worked out for you guys. Yeah, now we just need to spread the word that Alvin Baylor does live. <laughs> <laughs> well, I look forward to hearing about the uh, the next novel, Max, and the uh, the sequel to this one when it comes out. Yes, thank you. All right. Well, this has been great. Thank you guys for coming in. Josh, thanks for getting in touch. And I uh, really appreciate Absolutely. you guys spending the time and uh, and coming in for a drink. I uh, yeah. I enjoyed my uh, gin and sin. I still don't quite get that name, but uh, it was it was quite good. I hope the uh, the cider and the um, I think uh, I, I think that would be like a Kentucky mule maybe was uh, <laughs> was good. <laughs> it's all gone. Yeah, great. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again for coming in. Hey, where can people find you if they want to look look you up online? Well, if they want to find me, they can go to joshhorowitz.com. And that's my voiceover site. Okay. And I'm available at maximiliangray.com, or you can just do a search for the book, Alvin Baylor Lives. You can find it on Amazon. You can find the audio version on Audible, iTunes, and Amazon. All right. Cool. Well, that's great. Thanks again, guys. All Thank right. you, Rich. Thanks, Rich. Well, that's it for tonight. Many thanks to Josh Horowitz and Maximilian Gray for coming in. It sounds like they had a unique experience working together on Alvin Baylor Lives. 
I'm looking forward to having drinks with more rights holder producer pairs and learning about the different ways people work together on audiobooks. Thanks also to the sponsor for tonight's episode, the Audiobook Reviewer. Check out audiobookreviewer.com for audiobook reviews, how to get your audiobook reviewed, and information about the ABR Audiobook Listener Awards. As always, you can find the Audiobook Speakeasy on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean, and all the apps that pull from iTunes. And you can find me at richvoiceproductions.com, where I've got some samples and links to audiobooks I've narrated, and where I'm also posting episodes of the Audiobook Speakeasy. If you're enjoying our Speakeasy chats, please leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you're not enjoying them, please find a podcast you do enjoy and leave them a review. If you think this show is educational, entertaining, or valuable simply because it gives you an excuse to sit down and enjoy a cocktail in an otherwise hectic day, I'd really appreciate it if you'd add a buck or two to the tip jar. You can make a per-episode donation by signing up at patreon.com slash audiobookspeakeasy, or you can make a one-time donation by visiting paypal.me slash audiobookspeakeasy. Any financial support is greatly appreciated, as it helps me keep the lights on here in the speakeasy. Until we see you here in the speakeasy again, I hope you can find some time to enjoy an audiobook. Cheers! (laughs) 